0: I'm being repressed! This is the haircut that makes me look like I ought to be raking a yard at a state facility. I am a semi-professional race car driver and an amateur tattoo artist. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I've got stories about how I wound up in law school. I haven't talked much about law school or the practice of law in the past few seasons. And as I said a few episodes ago, I've kind of kept that aspect private for a variety of professional reasons. But now that I'm retired, I feel like I can talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it. I told you it would give us lots of episodes. We're going to have a season five filled with nothing but law stories. Okay, no, that's not 100% true, but there are stories to tell. And so we'll start with some of those today. Now, long-time listeners know I've done a lot of different things. All of that preceded my time in the law. Now, I've done a lot of different things because, basically, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. In my teens, and my 20s, I really wasn't sure. And I've talked a lot about leaving yourself open to options, about leaving doors open for yourself, And I talk about that because that's what I've always done with my life. I've always left doors open for myself. I've never foreclosed a possible road to go down. And I've also never shied away from the fact that sometimes I've picked a wrong road to go down and it's time to go back to the starting point and start over again. And I've done that numerous times. Now, long-time listeners know I've talked about my experiences in grad school and how at one point I was planning on living a life as a college student personnel person. That somebody who lives on college campuses, works in student activities. I was an RA. I talked about being a hall director at one point until the reality of a 35-year-old hall director trying to raise kids in a dorm raised its head. And I said, you know, probably not the way I want to go. And I've talked about my time in radio. And I loved my time in radio. I loved being on the air. I loved being a program director. I loved working on production in the studios. I loved writing ad copy. I loved it all. Okay, not all. There was some stuff that I didn't love about radio, but that's true with any job. There are the icky parts of every job that you just don't love. But you tolerate them because you love most of the rest of the job. And I've talked about why I didn't stay in radio. I worked in it for a couple of years. And then I realized you have to move around a lot to be successful. And I really didn't want to move around a lot. I've talked about working in retail. I enjoyed retail to a point, but it wasn't something that I really, really loved doing. Not like radio. I drove limos. I love driving limos. That was fun, too. But driving limos was more of a stopgap, something to do to earn money while I was trying to find what I really wanted to do, which at the time I thought was radio. Retail also, kind of a stopgap. I was also doing that while I was trying to break into radio. And retail and limos, those were both good jobs, but they weren't radio jobs. I didn't love those jobs. I loved my radio job. And when I finally got that full-time gig, I thought I was on the road. I thought I'd finally found the highway to my career until I started learning about the realities of the job. So I went from radio to working at Newsweek magazine. Now, how did that happen? The radio station I was working at full-time had cleaned house. They fired everybody. And so I had landed a part-time gig and was trying to work my way into a full-time gig at a new station. But there were no guarantees at that station that I was going to get a full-time gig. And so I was sending my demo tapes out and I was trying to find a place to go that wasn't too far because I had friends and family in New Jersey and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay relatively close to my friends and family. And yeah, I sent some tapes out to Ohio and Indiana. I didn't really want to go that far, but I realized I was going to have to open up my horizons if I wanted to stay in radio. So I was working part-time in radio, went back to driving limos, and was waiting for that next job. And then the money started to run out I started to realize I'm going to have to start earning some money on a full-time basis. And so I started applying for other jobs. That's when I landed a job at Newsweek Magazine. Now, I haven't talked too much about the Newsweek Magazine job because it was kind of a boring job. There was not a lot going on there. I mean, it was good. It was a full-time job. I applied to a blind classified ad in the newspaper. That's how we used to find jobs. There was no Monster.com. There was no LinkedIn. You went to the classified ads in the newspaper. And so one of the ads that I applied for was an entry-level position college degree. I sent my resume, and lo and behold, Newsweek magazine had placed the ad, and they called me up. By the way, it's called a blind ad because you don't know what company you're applying to. It's just an ad hiring somebody at an entry-level position, but they don't tell you what company. And there's reasons they do that, which we won't go into here, but it was a blind ad, and they called me up. And I went through a couple of interviews, and I landed a job as a statistician. Did I have any statistical background? <laughs> no. No, I did not. I had a college degree. I had a couple of years of experience in a supervisory capacity at the radio station, a couple of years of experience in driving limos and in retail, none of which qualified me to do statistics. But boy, did I give a good interview. Well, I'm a quick learner, and uh, whatever you throw my way, I'm sure I can get it done. Now, I don't know who else was interviewing for that job, but I wound up getting that job. Now that was pretty cool because Newsweek Magazine back then was one of the big weekly news publications that came out. Newsweek Magazine and Time Magazine were the big news magazines. They were like the Coke and Pepsi of news magazines. There was also U.S. News and World Reports, which is kind of like the RC Cola of the news magazines. But Time and Newsweek were the big ones. And in the back of my head, when I got the job at Newsweek, I had visions of maybe someday transitioning over to a writer for Newsweek. I liked to write. I'd actually taken some journalism classes in school. I kind of knew what they would be looking for. So I thought, maybe this is an entree into a cool writing job for Newsweek magazine. It wasn't, and I'll tell you about that. But I thought at the time, oh, Newsweek magazine. And I've talked a little about how I learned to become a statistician. I literally learned how to do it on the job. What my job was was to keep track of the promotions that Newsweek was sending out to solicit new subscribers. You know those things you get in the mail? Subscribe now and get this new tote. Or, if you subscribe now, you get two years for the price of one. We actually kept stats on what mailers we sent out, and how effective they were, how many subscribers we retained, how many we lost, how many new ones we got. And they'd send all kinds of promotions out. Little solar calculators, umbrellas, tote bags. And what my job was, was to keep track of all that stuff and see what worked best. It also turns out that part of my job was actually learning how the mailing services department worked. I learned how the machines worked. I learned about first class and third class postage. I learned about bulk rates. I learned so many different things that I never thought I'd learn about. That's still in the back of my head. I just don't have a use for it anymore. But it's still there. But this is all stuff that I learned in this job that I never thought that I'd have. And that I never thought that I'd stay in. I just thought this was an entry level position that would lead me up the corporate ladder. And maybe over into the writing side. So after a year of that, I was starting to get a little restless. I mean, they gave me a lot of opportunities to learn different things. This is where I learned how to use a PC and where I learned how to use a spreadsheet program, Lotus One Two Three, which is basically the precursor to Excel. This is the job where they pointed to the PC in the corner and said, we've got that. We don't know how to use it. Can you figure it out? And if so, put it to work. And so I did. So they gave me opportunities to do that. But that was a self-taught position too. They gave me a Lotus manual and a PC manual and said, Good luck, kid. I didn't mind it. It just wasn't what I expected. But it was a computer. It was technology. It was cool. So I was more than happy to do it. But as I said, after about a year, I started to get a little restless. I was actually watching the bulletin board. They had a bulletin board near the HR department. That's where they would post ads for internal openings. And they put an ad up on the board for an entry-level writer in the New York office. I was working in the New Jersey office because that's where all the mailing took place. Newsweek was headquartered in New York City, but all the mailing stuff took place in New Jersey. So I was working in New Jersey. The posting I saw was for an entry-level position in New York. And again, taking you back in time, this is long before there was any consideration of remote employment. When you went to the office, you literally went to the office. You couldn't work from home. There was no way to work from home. So I was living in New Jersey, working in New Jersey, applying for a job in New York City. And the New York office gave me an interview. It was cool. I got to go into the city, go to the Newsweek headquarters. I don't remember what the address was, but it was somewhere in midtown Manhattan. Something like on the 39th floor of some building. I remember it was high up. I remember I had great views out the windows. And I think the interview went well. But what I discovered about the interview, and what I discovered about the writing process, at least at Newsweek, is that, number one, to take the job, it would involve a cut in pay. Well, I didn't want that. And number two, it would involve a move into New York City. Well, I didn't want that either. I mean, I like visiting the city, but living in New York? That's never been something I wanted to do. Technically, I guess I could have lived in New Jersey... But when you're commuting from New Jersey to New York, for anybody who's not from the tri-state area, unless you're living in one of the towns right on the river, like Hoboken for instance, commuting to the city is not an easy or cheap proposition. So for me to take the writing job in New York, it would have cost me money, and at the time I wasn't sure that I could afford to do it. So rather than go through the entire process, I withdrew my name from consideration. I sent a nice thank you letter, thank you for the interview, but I'd like to withdraw my application. That's the note that I sent. I mean, they were kind enough to give me the dollars and cents that they were dealing with. And I was kind enough to tell them, (laughs) no, thank you. But that left me in the mailing services department of Newsweek magazine, located in New Jersey. And as you might expect, that's not a very long corporate ladder to climb. I mean, if you're working in New York and you're working as a writer, you can work your way up a longer corporate ladder, a lot more opportunities. You got to start at the bottom, of course. But the ladder is longer and there's a lot more rungs on that ladder. So there's a big climb ahead of you if you want to make it. I just decided I couldn't afford to make that climb. Not at that point in my life. So I went back to my job in mailing services, and I started to think of other things that I might want to do. I had never before really considered going to law school. It just wasn't something on my radar. The very first inkling I had about law school was back when I was a teenager. This is back when I was working at the drugstore that I've talked about. I was like 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there. And I was kind of the jack-of-all-trades guy at the store. I worked in the stock room. I worked in merchandising, which is basically setting up the products on the end caps and on the shelves. And I worked as a cashier. And the big boss at the store loved me. He just loved me. He would put me in whatever position he needed me in, and I would get the job done, and that's why he loved me. Now, I was just a kid, but I was a dependable, loyal kid who got the job done. This is the job where I would sometimes work 60 hours a week if he needed me to. I liked the job, and I liked the money, because when you're working overtime, you got paid time and a half. So if he was willing to give me more hours, I was more than willing to take them. And that's why he liked me. He had work to do, and I got the work done. So, he went on vacation one summer, and he left the assistant manager in charge, of course. Now, obviously, that wasn't me. I was just a kid. I was stocking shelves and doing cashier work. The assistant manager he left in charge was not a friendly fellow. He was not a good guy. He was kind of a power-hungry, car salesman type of guy. You know the attitude, that smarmy kind of guy. This was the guy. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but there were some scheduling problems, some day-off problems between a couple of the cashiers. I don't remember all of the details, but it got ugly. Now, the manager was on vacation, and he wasn't dealing with it. You couldn't reach him. There were no cell phones. And you wouldn't call the manager on his vacation anyway. But long story short, the assistant manager took a small personality disagreement and blew it up into a whole-scale rebellion against management at the store. Now, I tried to calm people down. I talked to all the people involved. I tried to talk to the assistant manager, who tolerated me, but he recognized that the boss liked me, so he instantly didn't like me because the boss liked me. But I tried to play peacemaker. I tried to play politician. And we kept things calm during the week that the boss was away. But my parents had instilled in me this sense of fairness and justice. So, with this sense of fairness and justice in my mind, I sat down and typed out a letter to the boss about what had happened in the week that he was gone. And this wasn't just a letter. This was a two-page letter, like ten paragraphs long, detailing everything that had happened. Who said what? Who said what to who? Who did what to who? Oh, yeah. I was a giant narc. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. But I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was documenting what happened because there was people who were in trouble because the assistant manager was pissed off at them. And there were people who were getting their hours shorted, not me, but the people involved in this conflict. And I didn't think it was fair. So I took it upon myself to write this two-page letter with advice from my dad. I said, dad, should I get involved? And my dad said, well, if you think it's something that you can make a difference in, go ahead. So I wrote the letter, put it in an envelope, sealed it, put the manager's name on it. And per my dad's advice, put personal On the outside of the envelope. And I left it for the boss to get when he got back from vacation. And he did get back from vacation and he called me into the office. It was not my day to work. But he called me into the office and he went over the letter with me and he said, "Uh, You know, you should be a Philadelphia lawyer. Now, I didn't know what he meant by that. I'd never heard anything special about Philadelphia lawyers, let alone any lawyers. I wasn't thinking law at all at that point in time. But that phrase, that phrase, Philadelphia lawyer, that stuck in my head. And that's the first time anybody ever connected me to the law. But I was still an undergraduate at the time, and the law wasn't even a consideration for me. I had just done what I thought was right. I thought standing up for what was right, doing the just thing, doing the right thing, setting the record straight for the boss. I thought that was what I should have done under those circumstances. And so that's what I did. Now, fast forward five years, six years, I guess it was, something like that. And I'm sitting at Newsweek and trying to think of a direction to go. With my life. Because quite honestly, I wasn't sure I was cut out for mailing services for an entire career. I just didn't think that was the path I wanted to go down. Don't get me wrong. I was working with great people. I had a good job. I enjoyed it. But when you see the picture of dead-end job, this job was the illustration for it. And I could tell. So I was trying to figure out what direction to take my life. Now, don't get me wrong. The phrase Philadelphia lawyer was not bouncing around in the back of my head. But what I did notice was that one of my friends from undergraduate in college had gone directly from undergrad to law school. And he was going to law school back in Ohio. I had moved back to New Jersey, but my college buddies and me would get together fairly regularly. And one of the things that brought us together was fantasy baseball. Back in those days, it was called Rotisserie League Baseball. I think I've mentioned this before. Fantasy baseball originated as rotisserie baseball because it was invented in a restaurant in New York City called the rotisserie. So the guys who invented it called it rotisserie league baseball. And my college friends and I discovered this thing. And we would get together every spring. From wherever we were, we would meet together in person. We'd set a weekend aside and we'd do our rotisserie league draft. We would call it our fantasy league draft now. But back in the day, it was a rotisserie draft. And my friend who was in law school was talking about law school all the time. And he would talk about the things he was doing and the things he was learning. And it sounded kind of interesting. And over the years, I'd watched lawyer movies, The Verdict, Presumed Innocent. And there was something about the courtroom that seemed intriguing to me. So as I usually do, I started researching. Of course, I always research the crap out of everything. So I started researching what going to law school was like. There was a book by Scott Turow called 1L, which documented his first year in law school. 1L means first year law student. And that was eye-opening and scary. And a movie came up on TV that I watched called The Paper Chase, which was about going to law school. And that was scary. But I started thinking about it more, and I started talking to my friend a little more. And I really started getting the feeling that going to law school might be the way to go. So then I started exploring the cost of going to law school. Now, this was something I was going to pay for myself. I mean, I'd been out of school five years. I was earning my own living. If I was going to stop earning my own living, I was going to have to finance everything myself. So I looked into grants and loans and scholarships. And it looked like it would be something that I could finance myself. I might be paying for it for years, but at least I could finance it. So what I started to do was apply to law schools. Now, I started applying to law schools out in Ohio because that's where my friends were. Oh, I had friends in New Jersey, too. I mean, working in retail, working driving limos, working at Newsweek. I had some really good friends. But my close friends were still in Ohio. As I said, I was going back there a couple of times a year just to hang out because I missed those folks so much. And while I knew I would be sad if I left my New Jersey friends, I knew I would be happy if I could reconnect with my Ohio friends. So that's why I started applying at law schools out in the Midwest. I also started going to law school fairs. Not like a fair as in the county fair with rides, but like a job fair. The law schools would go around and they'd rent out The Grand Ballroom at a hotel. And they'd all set up their tables. And they'd have information packets and representatives there to talk to you. And you could get a sense of the various law schools going to these law school fairs. So I would go to these law school fairs. And I'd go to the library. And I'd research the various law schools. And of course, the application process isn't free. So I had to narrow down my choices. But I was pretty confident that going out to the Midwest, that would be the way to go. I thought of also going South. I mean, I like the South. But I didn't know anybody in the South. My close friends were either in New Jersey or in Ohio. And I really didn't want to go away from either of those places if I didn't have to. And I really didn't want to stay in New Jersey. So that's why I went west. At one of the law school fairs, I actually talked to a representative from the University of Virginia. They had a law school too. And the first question they asked me was, what's your GPA? Well, my GPA in undergrad, as I've talked about, I just missed a 3.0. I was at 2.94. Just one B instead of a C. I probably would have had the 3.0. But when I told the guy from UVA that my GPA was 2.94, he chuckled. (laughs) Well, you need at least a minimum 3.0 before you can come to UVA. And maybe I should have taken that as a warning about the way the attitudes of lawyers at law schools are, but I didn't. But that little superiority chuckle that he gave me, I wouldn't have gone to UVA after that if they'd paid me. But what you need to go into law school is a decent GPA, good scores on the LSAT, which is the Law School Aptitude Test. It's like the SAT, except for law schools. And they also factor in things like life experience and work experience. And you fill all that out when you fill in your applications. So I applied to a number of places. I applied at Case Western Reserve out in Ohio, The Ohio State University, University of Toledo. I also went further west. I looked at Marquette which is out in Wisconsin. I toyed with the idea of going to Notre Dame, but I had a feeling Notre Dame might have the same attitude as UVA, so I decided not to apply there. But I sent my applications out. And lo and behold, I was accepted at three out of the four. The Ohio State University didn't accept me, which was okay because I had three other yeses. And as it turns out, the University of Toledo really wanted me to go so much so that they offered me a scholarship. Coincidentally enough, the University of Toledo is where my friend from undergrad was and was 30 minutes from where all of my friends in Bowling Green lived. So when it came time to make a final decision, Case Western offered me a little money, Marquette offered me nothing, and the University of Toledo offered me a decent scholarship. I would still have to finance a lot because you have to remember, room and board for a year, you gotta pay for that somewhere. Books, they don't come cheap in law school and there's a lot of them. But they offered me a tuition scholarship. And so it made the decision relatively easy. So once I had the acceptance in my pocket and once I made the decision, I gave my notice to Newsweek. I said, I'm leaving for law school. Now, my immediate supervisor at Newsweek, the guy who hired me, was very sad to see me go. He really didn't want me to go because he knew I got jobs done. But the big boss of the office in New Jersey, he and I had developed a kind of a friendly relationship just because you see each other every day. He would sit down to lunch with all of us for mailing services. He would strike up conversations. He was the one who suggested that I go into New York and interview for a job. He believed in me. And so when he found out I was going to law school, he was probably happier than I was. He supported me. He was 100% behind me. And he was genuinely happy that I had this opportunity. And I remember as the days were drawing to a close on my Newsweek career, everybody got together, they wanted to throw a going away party for me, which we did. And everybody had nothing but kind words to say, which made it even more difficult to leave. Because anytime you're making a big change in your life, anytime you're uprooting yourself, it's stressful, it makes you nervous, it makes you question the wisdom of your own decisions. And I remember those final few weeks as a non-lawyer. And although I didn't really have any doubts that I was making the right decision, I was still nervous about it. I was still sorry that I was going to be leaving such good friends behind. Because I'd made some really good friends over the years. And to uproot myself from them, to basically give it all away for completely uncharted waters where I wouldn't know anybody, where I'd be doing something that I never even contemplated ever in my life, it was a huge decision. And the hugeness of it became even more apparent as the day grew closer where I'd actually have to leave. I obviously did, but it was a far scarier decision at the end than I initially thought it was going to be. But that's how I wound up in law school. I was looking for opportunities, I kept my doors open, I didn't rule anything out, and I wound up in law school. Now, what was law school like? Well, that's a tale for another episode. Oh, you didn't think we were going to get into the details of law school, did you? You know me. You ask me what time it is, I tell you how to make a watch. I knew once I started talking about how I got to law school, I could go on for a while. And I've shortened this up. There was a lot that went on. There were conversations with my parents. There were conversations with the bank and with lending institutions. I left out a lot of the boring stuff. But when you uproot yourself, when you do that, there's a lot of stuff you have to take into consideration, and that's everything from how much it's going to cost to go to school, to finance the books, to live for a couple of years. Law school is three years, so you have to factor all of that into your decision making. Can I afford to do this? But I've left all that boring stuff out. We can talk about it down the road, but going through the loan application process, probably not high on my most exciting things I've ever done. Anyway. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate your support and all of the time that you spend here. You guys take care of yourselves. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.